0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature.
1: It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
0: The, the world, the population in humanity isn't going to die from starvation one day. There are still tons of problems we can fix and probably should be fixing and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of our, our old fears are almost like, you know, I guess the buzzword, but like fake fears now, right? Mm. It's not... What we should be driving, we should be talking about living longer, or blending, you know, human and you know, artificial forms of non biological intelligence, or you know, you you might have a view on it, but we're very big on GDP still. Well, there are some economists who are looking to push metrics like you know HD or whatever like a, a happiness yeah, domestic product
1: gross national happiness yeah. you know GNH I think is uh, is an index that Bhutan I think has the highest gross, gross national happiness in the world Lookup listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Lookup podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein. It's been a minute since I released an episode. been busy cranking over here on the Web3 industry and finding projects to invest in the open metaverse, uh, founders to support along the way, and uh, just haven't really had much time to continue to create this content. But I'm dedicated to the show and I want to continue on, uh, even if it's in more infrequent than before, Um, but I appreciate you all following along and continuing to come on this journey with me and uh, hope to get the newsletters back on a weekly cadence and the podcast back on a weekly cadence in time. Uh, Today's guest is super interesting. His name is Eric pilon Bignell. He's a pragmatic futurist and the best-selling author of the book Surfing Rogue Waves. This book discusses the constant anomaly of change and how humanity is pushed to navigate through this exponential pace of disruption. Uh, The disruption brought on by the fourth industrial revolution, which Eric defines in this episode. Eric has a love for the outdoors. He's a surfer and it shines through as he draws parallels between life and surfing, presenting his insights using waves as metaphors of hardship we face in our daily lives. Uh, His love for outdoors also manifests in his desire to climb the tallest mountain on all seven continents. I think he's already done at least two of those. Uh, The book presents the idea of disruption as a means of moving forward into the future rather than being overtaken by the waves that come. Eric discusses how we could shape our life and the future of humanity with the decisions that we make amongst this massive change. We discuss the recent world conflicts that are emerging between superpowers, the impact that COVID-19 and the pandemic has had on us as individuals and on society, and then we uh, move on to discuss our views on the world and happiness. Uh, It's a really enjoyable conversation. Uh, It's been a few weeks now since Eric and I chatted, and I apologize for not getting this to you sooner. Uh, but I really hope you enjoy this episode and I look forward to sharing more episodes with you all in the future. Eric Pilonvignal, thanks for hopping on, uh, to look up podcast today. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. I know that you're, you've been doing a lot of these as we were just chatting about and, uh, super busy on your end. The book is called surfing rogue waves. Uh, your book is called surfing rogue waves. (laughs) And, um, you wrote it during COVID, uh, during the first lockdown. Is that correct? I did.
0: Yeah. I think, first of all, you know, thanks for having me as well, because we were chatting and um, we were also talking through kind of your busy schedule. So uh, you are equally as busy. So I appreciate you taking the time as well. Um, But I did, in fact, finalize and put everything together during COVID. It, It had been something I'd been, you know, struggling with and thinking of forever. And I think, you know, we grew up a certain way and I never thought I'd ever be an author, to be honest with you. Right. And then. Uh, I I finished you know my dissertation which wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be in terms of like a purpose in the world right it was good it applied to executives and global organizations right and and how we Mm -hmm. think and move with all this disruption and the speed through you know complexity and all that fun stuff but I I spent the next couple years kind of tying in more relevant research and you know a lot of this is really just the framework to how we think and what the you know projecting what the future is going to look like right we understand exponential trajectories we understand somewhat of complexity sciences and how we can't control which we don't like but we can nudge things in a certain direction right and that <clears throat> means we have a general idea of what is coming now we, we can't tell you when it's going to come in what order which drives everyone nuts obviously because we want to predict and control everything but we know some of these <clears throat> things are coming right and you know covid kind of got me uh, a bit of that time to, to step back and try to keep my sanity and I mean like like we were talking about I'm I'm in Chicago here and if I didn't find something to do for 8 or 10 hours a day on the weekend in the lockdown my wife probably would have you know gone crazy and kicked me <laughs> out of the house so uh, <laughs> it was a really fun exercise for me uh something really new for me I I you know I came from an engineering background and very number and quantitative and this kind of let me mm-hmm. really push into you know not not just the, it's not a technical read by any means but it does dive into you know, ethics and more importantly, like there are bigger problems we should be discussing from all of this technology that's coming that we're Mm. not, right? And they're they're almost philosophical ones, but, you know, we're going to start to live longer and, you know, happiness is a great one, right? And if we're doing all this, like we were talking about, we're not any happier and, you know, we're going to, we're blurring the boundaries of everything, right? Human Mm. augmentation, brain augmentation, neuro, nano, biotechnologies, you know, if it's not technology, then science has got a robust pipeline of some, you know, mega trends that are coming down the pipe. And that's the theme of rogue waves. We have all these waves coming and when they do collide and we don't exactly know when and where, it, they're, they, they seem like this rogue disruption, right? And it's this rogue wave that emerges and you might be for or against that. I'm not saying any of it's good or bad, but if we're not talking about it, you might just wake up in a world – like we did now where, you know, we have IDF, we have the internet, we didn't vote on those things, they just appeared. Well, that that's different when we're talking about these new trends, right? CRISPR is designer babies, You might be for or against that, right? What we're doing with some of the artificial intelligences and the data, like, who owns your data? What does that look like? What can they do with it? We've got Europe running it one way, America running it another way, China just owns it all and runs it their own way. You know, these are all, a lot of these are global problems that we've... We've solved most of our fears to date individualistically, right? But not so much these global ones. I mean, as you can see, obviously, with a COVID pandemic, we can't run around and have a bunch of different countries doing a bunch of different things when we have, you know, these kind of bigger problems. So, yeah, the book book was a lot of fun and – yeah, here I am. I'm, I guess I'm an author. So, so.
1: <laughs> so it's awesome. So you went, you were an engineer and then you were studying information sciences. So you say you didn't ever expect that you'd be an author. What, what is the, um, the fantastic, the, the fantasy path? What is the, the path that, um, might have been?
0: <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I, which is, is going to be ironic and I guess I'll just keep Keep with my theme here, without trying to be too corny um, of surfing, but I, I very much kind of take <laughs> taking that approach in life. I, I I went to school. I I was French speaking before I was English, right? So I had a bit more trouble um, when I went to like you know the English university, and I you know still have problem identifying subordinate clauses in a sentence. So don't, don't ask me to do that. But uh you know, I, I went into engineering because you know science and numbers worked right. And then I I worked as an engineer for a bit, and then I thought you know. I love part of that, but I kind of wanted more. So I moved, you know, information systems and actually did an MBA in and around that. So I can move, you know, more to client facing and front end and, and some of the things I liked a little bit more. And I kind of opened up, you know, a new can of worm and new questions. And so I don't think I ever really had like I never grew up other than when I was young and I wanted to play in the NHL and be a, you know, and an NHL hockey player. Um, I, I never had <laughs> like,
1: like every self-respecting Canadian right, yeah, child. Just, <laughs> <should deem. laughs> stereotyping
0: myself terribly here. Um, I never had this, like I want to be, you know, a scientist or an astronaut or a, or a CEO or anything. I, I, I kind of always had this in string, in intrinsic, like need of, of wanting more. And the more you learn, you kind of learn, you want more. And, um, and opportunities we're always changing. And I really found the ones that I capitalized, like I could have never really pre-planned for. And that's a bit of the theme of the book, right? You know, we, <clears throat> we have all this change coming. The problem is we don't have the ability really to notice change as it's happening. And part of that's because we're not looking for it. Right. So the idea is what if we could notice change while it's happening And the book helps unpack a bit of that, which again is, is paralleling in the life. Like I don't think I ever had this big picture Um, goal as much as you know preparing myself and then opportunistically as these waves emerged I kind of would jump and surf on them right and I couldn't have told you two years ago I would have written a book but now I've written a book Um, so kind of great example I I think of of the theme in general and um, you know I think it's a great way to you know there are higher risk, high reward. I understand mm-hmm. all that with all this great technology coming out, but it's also what you make of it. You know, you've, you've done a lot of that, right? You've, yeah. You've, you've done That's
1: really funny that dogs. you say it's really what you make of it because I actually had a question pop up, which was kind of like, would you define yourself as an optimist, a pessimist, pragma, a pragmatist, you know, like how, how do you think about the, your your, I guess, emotional response, maybe that's not even an emotional response, but it kind of is to these rogue waves that you, you know, are coming. As you said, we know they're coming, but not when and how necessarily.
0: Right. Um, so, you know, the, I don't take either stance. I I do find there tends to be a large school of people who are, you know, so far out there, right. Pie in the sky. The future is going to be either a singularity and it's going to be great or it's going to be terrible. And, you know, AGI is going to take over and we're all going to die. Or it's, you know, there's the other extreme where like people either don't believe in it, they don't care, whatever it is. And I I find myself in the middle with a lot of these things. I find myself in the middle with a lot of things. And I actually identify Mm -hmm. in the book that anytime we have those situations where you're asking me right like are you pessimistic are you positive on it well you we should be in the middle and that tension in the middle that's kind of pulling you both ways that that's really good in companies we see that pressure with innovation right in our lives that's kind of how we grow in you know i'm gonna cliche myself here but when we're surfing like the ultimate move is (laughs) is to get deep down into the barrel and what's great about that is the barrel is equally exciting but also terrifying I mean, if you wipe out in there, you are gonna get chewed up and spit out, and you know you'll be looking out your ear for a week, but it's the biggest rush and thrill you can get, you know what i mean so i'm I'm very much that mindset i I think it's so exciting. I think we are gonna do incredible things I think we're gonna we're gonna cure incredible diseases and not lose loved ones to things we would have thought was never impossible and and all that great stuff, but at the same time, we need to be having the discussions of the other side of it, we have this inability, unfortunately, as a human race, of drawing a line between fixing people and upgrading people. Right? There, there are there are great examples in plastic surgery, which we invented to put soldiers back together. Plastic surgery is not an industry that is being supported by putting soldiers back together. It's just upgrades and augmentations, right? It's 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 it's, it's breasts and lips and butts and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, that's not maybe life-shattering now, but the ones we're talking about when we get into removing sickle cell from an embryo, that's 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 something. That's amazing, right? But mm-hmm. that suddenly that disappears from the human race. But then we can also add height, strength, blue eyes, mm-hmm. whatever we want. Now people get, people get more uncomfortable about this, right? So I don't think the answer is, you know, we can't put a pin in any one of these because these waves are coming from all over, right? But that kind of equal excitement and fear you know i i feel like that's where i'm at like i'm, I'm so excited about this because i think it's going to be so many incredible things right and i mean you're talking right now even the cryptocurrency stuff and there's so much incredible potential that even comes with that but like mm-hmm. everyone knows all the things only the extreme things make headlines right there's obviously you know if we're not careful we, there could be a lot of bad things that come out of that right um so yeah for sure you know, I think it's, uh, that's kind of where I stand. I, you know, I don't, I don't want, I don't want it to be a cop-out answer, like neither, but I I kind of feel like I'm in that middle.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it, it's, it's all good. I mean, I think that the surfing analogy is apt because, you know, surfing, I, I'm also a novice surfer and I, I love it. It's like one of my favorite forms of meditation. One of my favorite things to do in the world. It sounds like you might be even quite a bit better than I am. Um, mm. Because I'm not, I'm not finding a barrel, man. I don't even find if the waves have a barrel, your boy's not even hopping out in the ocean that day. Um, (laughs) I I just might be dumb enough to get chewed
0: up by the barrel. That's the only difference.
1: (laughs) No, but I I love it so much. And I think, you know, for me as a, a, you know, 10 year yoga practitioner, like the reason why I think surfing resonates is like, is this almost like, hugging the midline. Right. And, and you, and you described it so well when you're in the barrel, or even for me, when I'm, when I'm catching a wave that maybe feels a little bit, um, just too big for me and my skill level. Um, you know, it's, it's that fear and excitement and they are kind of on, uh, they are kind of two sides of the same Sensation, like they show up in the same way in your body, for example, right. right? Like those butterflies in your stomach and that rush. Um And so it's, uh it's, it's good. I think, I think it's probably like the midline is we need more people in the midline. I, I believe at this time, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> we're in a time of, of, if I could de- define the current era and maybe it's always been this way. It's like, it's mass polarization, right. you know, and I, I can't tell, I hate to say whether or not it's intentional. Um it certainly sells uh I you know it certainly sells eyeballs. It creates attention to be polarizing. Uh but there's one example that happened very recently which was a fight in New York and like you know how many fights are there in a city with I think the population of New York of Manhattan is right. 7 million people, right? So there's going to be fights and the fight became anti-vaxxers attack hostess um, for asking for vax cards. So the media turned it into crazy anti-vaxxers versus, you know, rational, vaxxed um, individual trying to enforce the highly rational um, vaccine mandate in New York City that's protecting all of our lives. And it kept running. It kept running. I don't watch the news, but my parents watch, you know, the local news on Long Island pretty much like three hours a day, I would say. So when I'm home on Long Island, it's like I get to see just what is being pumped through these media channels. Yeah. And the irony was like the next day I saw this same fight framed as um, actually the hostess used a racial slur yeah. against the guests. And so now it's not just some, some woman utters racist slur to people gets her ass kicked. Now it's Black Lives Matter issue. And, and it's, it's just like, wow, like, why does everything have to be, have to become kind of like this meta issue? Um, That's a representation of all of the problems that society faces. Why can't it just be, you know, there was a fight in New York today. Yeah. Crazy people like overreacted or maybe rightly reacted to a comment that was said to them, although violence is really not the answer in my book. Like I don't know if this is if this applies, but the point I guess the point that I'm trying to make is like it's good to have people that are like, I'm neither this nor that. I'm kind of in between and I'm figuring it out as I go. Right.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think it's um it's 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 two parts. I think the first part. When when you were chatting about yourself surfing it, and not getting in a barrel, obviously, but just the the mindset, right? If we if if we, if we approach the world more like a surfer, because you have it all, right? Like you're sitting out there, the water's flat, you're waiting for a set to come in. To your point, it's like more than meditative, it's like magical. You're just floating in the middle of this like perfect, beautiful ocean. It's it's the most calm and relaxed you'll be. And two or three minutes later, it everything changes right all of a sudden you are like locked in you're dialed in and it doesn't have to be a big wave you know what i mean i'm i'm getting my ass kicked on small waves right but but i'm in the zone like i'm locked in i'm paddling i'm focused everything changes i'm like i'm intense and it's this really cool mix which we have in life right i feel like you know everything's like you have to be one or the other you have to be intense or we have this this great mix which which i think the parallels are great and then to your second point on you know it's hilarious because like you said, this is New York City. There are probably, I have no clue whether there, you could tell me there's 10,000 fights a day in New York City. I would probably believe you. It could be a hundred thousand. I have no clue, right? Yes. As, <laughs> as, as soon as you started saying that, as soon as you started saying that, I knew exactly what you were talking about, which to your point is really messed up because I, I, I'm really, um, I, I really remove myself from at least the mainstream media. They, they lean too much one way or the other. It's Almost comical sometimes, right? Um, And to your point,
1: it it is.
0: You you can't get away from it though, right? So I I saw that. I saw. Oh my goodness! You know these ladies attacked this person. You know because because they were anti-vaxxers, and the next day, you know, there was a racial slur. And I think what's what's shocking is you made a good point. We feel like this is kind of being done on on purpose, almost to us, right? Like it's just so nonstop. But I think in reality. People are opportunistic, i.e. the news media outlets and anyone else, right? Where they can jump on these things as they happen, but very much like our our markets, our our financial markets even, but we've lost control of the machine. We we hate admitting that, you know what I mean? But I feel like this is um, happening so much everywhere and this is how complexity works and we can't control it and we have all these little individual agents and they can be everything from like individual little people, right? Or like organizations, but we can still nudge and shape that in a certain direction if we can get right more people kind of thinking to your point, whether it's in this middle or whatever it is, more of this surfer's mindset, right? Where, you know, I'm not – you know, it's not like a surfer's mindset like, ah, oh, they don't care about anything, dude. We just hang out and do nothing. It's this mix, right? There are times when you got to relax and chill and there are times when you got to be so intense and get after this. Um, and that that really – that that piece is – I feel like a lot of what we're missing because we've got these dogmatic extremes now, and it's everywhere it's not just in America. it is on hyper mode mm-hmm. in America and the marketing machine where suddenly, for whatever reason you're one side and it doesn't matter what the other side says they're wrong and what 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 system in the world has zero things that overlap it's it's insane right it doesn't even like make no. sense so it's this it's this you know machine we've but built that we can't stop almost. <laughs>
1: To me, it's it's Coke and Pepsi. You know, they're both Met. sugary, unhealthy drinks. Like right. I think it's the it's it's an illusion of extreme, extremity, and it's it's often polarization on you know very specific issues, right? Like the the centrist in America might might not vote based based solely on Roe v Wade or on gun rights, but the far you know someone who's sitting on the far left would only vote. Based on pro-life, pro-choice, and someone sitting on the far right, the same, right? And so, it's uh, it's like there are certain certain hot button items that are almost like continue to be pushed to ensure that there's separation. I don't know. I don't think there's necessarily like a cabal of you know people pushing them, right? But I know that the incentive structure is such that so long as there's fear, anxiety, anger you know there's more eyeballs there's more attention there's yeah. more advertising dollars and so it's
0: politically especially right like that's been how they've controlled masses forever right and and mm-hmm. i think in the past it was helpful because if you know we didn't have governments to protect us right those mean canadians up north would come down here with their tomahawks and take over part of you know kill kill our our, our village and that that doesn't happen anymore though you know what i mean we're still using a lot of these old like you know ways where you know we used to drive fear and it's it's, it's it's for generations centuries it's been built into us right and and that that part i agree they're definitely pushing on both sides of it but like that's those aren't the real you know fears we have anymore those aren't existential fears i shouldn't say that right so like hunger is another one like the, the world the population in humanity isn't going to die from starvation one day. There are still tons of problems we can fix and probably should be fixing and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of our, our old fears are almost like, you know, I guess the buzzword, but like fake fears now, right? Mm -hmm. It's not what we should be driving. We should be talking about living longer or blending, you know, human and you know, artificial forms of non-biological intelligence or, you know, you you might have a view on it, but we're very big on GDP still. Well, there are some yeah. economists who are looking to push metrics like, you know, HDP or whatever, like a, a happiness yeah, domestic h- product.
1: Gross national happiness. Yeah. You know, GNH, I think, is uh, is an index that Bhutan, I think, has the highest gross, gross national happiness in the world. Um, and, and it's genius. Do you want to be a producer or do you want to
0: be happy? I mean – you know, those are a lot yeah. of the discussions we don't,
1: and GD, we don't chat about. The, the, one of the biggest one of the biggest challenges with GDP as a metric in, in particular is it excludes it, it's gross, right? So it doesn't actually identify the, the differential and where the um, where the, the domestic product is kind of falling uh, in whose pockets, so to speak. And so you can have a system where GDP continues to grow, but there's this underlying um, structural deficiency in measuring just GDP, where uh, it doesn't account, for example, for wealth inequality, right? For something that is, in my opinion, one of the greatest drivers of dissent and, again, polarization in uh, modern society is the way that um, returns to capital have far exceeded returns to labor over the last, call it... um, Forty years. I mean, it's been it's been an issue forever, but like the American dream in the post-World War II era was one in which the average individual could elevate their life status through home ownership, through technological advancement in the world of atoms, you know, machine modern machinery that we take for granted, like refrigerators and washing machines and you know, dishwashers that freed up time and made everyone kind of wealthy and not wealthy living in the same, you know, kind of like almost the same level, right? Totally. Um, but I think, you know, the seventies was an interesting kind of break point where the, you know, the CEO compensation versus the average employee compensation just like went super far out of whack. I think that's at the root of a lot of issues that we're facing right now. I'm, I'm blabbering. I actually want to circle back to, um, to a couple of topics that you discussed earlier and, and in, in your book as well. For sure. Um, and so, so, One that we're kind of touching on is this idea of, of fake fears. You know, what, what would you define as our, you know, our fake fears, um, today? You kind of like moved around it a little bit.
0: Yeah. Um, so I would say, and this is very much like at a large scale, right? Over, over, over time. This isn't, I'm not to say that these these aren't still fears or that they're not still real, right? Or that we don't still have a problem with them. I'm, I'm using an existential lens here. Like I'm saying, this isn't a fear that's going to like wipe out humanity. Like, like, <clears throat> like we feared it would have in the past. Um, so tr- traditionally we had, you know, governments because as, as we grew and populations grew, we needed to, to manage populations. And most of humanity, it was more important to believe in what your neighbors and your community believed in Instead of what's actually true, and and you know we, we grew up that way and evolved that way, and that's changed a lot now. So, so violence, war, terrorism—that's a big one, right? They they all still happen. I'm not saying that they're they're all still disgusting. I'm just saying, like, terrorism is a great example, right? If you look from an existential lens, how many? people in the human race die every year from terrorism, despite the fact that it's disgusting and I'm not supporting it in any way, it's never going to wipe us all out, right? The, the, the biggest problem with terrorism is our reaction to it, right? A little, you know, a little terrorist act here and then we go back and explode and react and, you know, show strength because the government's going to protect us, right? When really we have way bigger problems we need protection from probably. So I think that that violence and fear theme is, is a real one. Um, nutrition, was very much a big one right you know we need to uh you know famine was real and again I'm going back you know centuries here but there were times when we mm-hmm. had famines that wiped out you know large parts of entire populations i mean it was wild right realistically nowadays with you know our advancements in foods but you know transportation and distribution networks and all these things these industrial revolutions brought us it's sad to say but a large like there shouldn't be a lot of people dying from famine and it, it is less and less every year and unfortunately a lot of times that this is happening it is for political reasons almost right like if we got together mm-hmm. as a world and we wanted to, we wanted to solve this we could we could solve this but again global problems we have you know a, a little bit more more trouble in so i would say um, violence for sure is the big one that we we still mm-hmm. are being managed by and you know, making each other like, like you talked about earlier, right? We hate each other. I think, you know, famine and starvation, right. is very much a real one, Mm -hmm. but we, we haven't solved these problems, but we're very much a a culture of, of good enough. We have solved that good enough as in it's not going to wipe out the human race. So Mm -hmm. our, our minds, which we might not notice this change happening moves on to the next, Existential problems we run into, and right now that's being controlled and run by quarterly revenue reports, which is probably not how we want the faith of our you know human race to be run, but living longer that's a bigger one because you know that this disease we have of dying it sucks, and the human race is going to keep working on this problem until uh mm-hmm. until we fix it, and that's everything from. All these different technologies. Uh, What does 3D printing have to do with anything? Well, I don't know. Once we start 3D printing organs, now no one ever has to die from, you know, liver or kidney failure. Like, then we can live longer. You know, imagine the more we understand the brain, we can remove or change or augment or, you know – Again, this isn't naturally and you might be for or against it, but you might be able to stimulate different parts of the brain electronically. Now, those neurons and synapses, they fire in your brain the same way they would normally, except I'm I'm jumpstarting them from the outside, right? So mm-hmm. that might be able to work around diseases and brain issues that would have killed, you know, loved ones in the past. So this this eternal, you know, I call it eternal surfer in the book, but like this this chase of that is something that's real right now. And I don't think it's being governed differently differently across different countries and to be honest with you probably even companies and it's not a bigger question we're voting on we're voting on fear right now versus <laughs> you know no. uh, are are we okay or not okay with what we're doing in that you know the happiness is another great one i think we talked about it earlier but we do all this but if we're not any happier do we care or if our happiness is going down right do we care if the gdp goes up in all these countries that are doing great you know, and there's great case studies like South Korea that took its – it's a, an amazing story, right? It took itself from this this very impoverished country to some of the like smartest, greatest, you know, cost of living ever. And suicide rates went up like, you know, 300%. I mean, mm-hmm. th- there's something there, right? And if these are not, none of the ones we're addressing. And, and, then,
1: and another another um, subject you brought up earlier, South Korea is one of the um, hotbeds for plastic surgery. right. Um, I think it might have this it might be the country with the second or, or first most um plastic surgeries as a percentage of the population size. Yeah. um there's like literal like plastic surgery like skyscrapers where people just go and have have these surgeries done to make their eyes bigger or their lips bigger or their boobs or their butt or whatever yeah. so you know maybe that's not a sign of unhappiness, but it's certainly a sign of people desiring to um to alter themselves you know for some kind of external benefit
0: right and and we don't stop and think about concepts like happiness we, we understand that you know and we've seen this across not even just the u.s we've seen it in brexit right like hey, everyone wants things to go back to the way they were whatever that means you know like it's not better now than it was yeah. then, somehow right but um you know if you look at happiness Happiness is how hard it is for you to achieve what you want to get to, right? So if you get there, you're happy. But unfortunately, and it's by design, evolutionary, happiness is temporary, right? You get food, you know, you have sex, you do all these things that, you know, make us happy. And then eventually it fades and we go and we look and we try and do those things again because we need to reproduce, we need to eat to live, we need to, you know, some of these things are hardwired into us. But we are, we are constantly upping that you know that drug of happiness cuz you know the what we're trying to achieve is further and further and further and the we're having yeah. harder and harder harder times getting there so if we're not careful we can actually do all these amazing things and be less happy which just doesn't make any uh, sense
1: it's, it's <laughs> the form it's uh i think elaine uh, elaine de Boyton, i might be mispronouncing his name kind of like his psychologist who studied yeah. happiness and he had like the happiness quotient which was just your um realities over your potentialities and it's effectively like what you're describing is we keep moving the goalposts right the potentiality keeps growing the denominator keeps growing while the numerator grows the denominator grows more and so we're less happy i want to circle back to like you know this concept of um i think surfing is such a great analogy uh you know, I, I do angel investing in, in the cryptocurrency space. And I reached out to a friend who's been doing this probably a couple of years longer than I have. And she's probably done like 200 deals or something like that. And I was like, so how do you think about, um, you know, allocating, you know, your, your capital, your net worth into these positions? Like, are you thinking, you know, do you have max size? Do you have max percentage of portfolio? Like, how do you evaluate the deal? She's just like, listen, <laughs> she's like, none of us Are particularly good um, at identifying individual opportunities here. We're not, don't fool yourself into believing that you're an exceptional investor. We are riding a massive wave. And that wave that she's describing is kind of the transition um, to kind of like decentralized networks and um, you know, web three as we call it versus web two. And like the, the impact of that wave and riding that wave is going to be far greater than the individual ripples. Right. right. So like, don't, don't overthink it. And I think that that response one ties in nicely with your surf analogy Two, it also um, speaks to this idea of control, which um, you've kind of described as well. Like we, we desire to control. And I think Covid, when you wrote this book, if there was one theme that came from it, I think it was this global realization that we are actually in out of control. Right. Um, I don't think anyone would have imagined a scenario in which um, life would change so drastically for everyone at one time, um, and there was really not much that we could do about it, at least for you know a few months to even like a year. And this realization for most who believe that we're in control, um, is terrifying. Right. And that Mm -hmm. leads to this fear of like, Oh wow, if I'm not in control, then like anything can happen. And now I'm I'm afraid. And so you, we start to make decisions out of fear. Um, and I think what you're describing is a desire to, um, stop making fear-based decisions to, uh, Identify that a lot of the fears are unjustified, at least at a, at a global level, in terms of like the survival of, of all humanity, and um, and now once we remove our desire for kind of control and the fear that we're out of control or the fear of these these old these fake fears that you de- describe, then we can start to um, at least adjust or ride the waves that the real rate waves that are coming that matter, which is this fourth industrial revolution. Yeah,
0: totally. And I think, you know, your example of of investing is a great example. And again, we could, I'll, I'll parallel back and forth to surfing on that, right? But surfing, when you think about surfing, if we actually just try and study it, you know, the way you might invest in a company, for example, right? So so what happens to surf, you just have to understand lunar tidal patterns, right? How that interacts with the cosmos. But then you've also got to understand, you know, coefficients of friction and real time calculations of physics and how all these molecules are going to hit in the water where the wave's going to come out. And then that you're going to have to adjust your body and like, okay, but that's not what a surfer does, right? They don't do all those things. <laughs> um, so I don't, the book kind of helps not us it. to be like, just surf. Like there are things we can do at a high level to help us know, right? Like you know, you you mentioned your mindfulness practice, right? And some and, and gratitude, like the the action of writing it down, and it changes your mindset. Now you don't have to understand the neurophysiological and neurochemical reactions that are happening in there, but it, we know it does it, right? So the same way you mentioned COVID, um, which which I think is a great example. I'm going to use two examples. Uh, they're not this black and white, but let's do it for intensive purposes, right? Organizations companies industry has been preparing for this digital transformation slower than they should have but how long have you know everyone been saying to companies right this is coming it's going to be there they've been preparing for it covid hits terrible i'm not saying this is a good thing that happened but it forced this digital transformation suddenly companies had no choice but to adapt and die and guess what they all shifted and you know what for the most part they did really well Industry did really well. They adapted pretty well. Now, not all industry to your point, right? A lot of hardship in in, in places where you need human interaction, but I'm saying as a whole, the system didn't collapse. People, you know, were able to shift from home and work virtually like you and me are doing right now, talking to each other in different cities, you know, through, through a computer screen. But then we have education, which never prepared for this, which wasn't ready for this. And now all of a sudden they're forced to shift and they're trying their best, but like It's been a failure, right? Educating an eight-year-old and asking him to sit in front of a computer for eight hours, I have enough trouble doing it. You know what I mean? I couldn't have done Mm -hmm. it for 30 minutes as an eight-year-old, but we weren't prepared. So to your point, like, it's not about um, perfectly picking off which one will happen, but preparing yourself to surf these waves, kind of like how you guys are investing in some of these crypto things, right? You're preparing to surf. So industry did that for a work-from-home shift, which – in the industries that were capable of doing, it was rather successful. Education has not been successful. They were very archaic and they're very mechanistic and they're same models in the same way that we batch, you know, educate children and, Like we did 100 years ago and no shift in that where the technology is all there, right? We've got cognitive computing programs that can track your eyes and and constantly engage you like you're playing a game except you're learning, right? Some of the studies are showing that in an hour of playing some of these things is equivalent to like an eight-hour school day. But we Mm -hmm. we were never investing or looking at any of that. We just kept doing things the way we were doing and this step change comes in, disruption, this rogue wave we're going to call it. COVID. Rogue waves are good and bad. They're, they're not always, you know, all sunshines and rainbows either. But mm. so it, it just blindsided our educational system. And now we've got entire, you know, year or two of kids who are, you know, and, and that affects this interconnected mess, which is back to what we we're saying, like, we can't stop this machine. It affects everyone. What do you do if you're a single, single mother at home with two kids, you know, like my wife's a chiropractor. She can't work from home. She has to be there, right? Treating, you know, and, you know, she also, you know, mm-hmm. she does the yoga piece too. And she's a yoga instructor, but like some of that can move online, but chiropractic can't. Well, what would she do if she had kids, right? She can't go to work, but then if you can't go to work, can't pay your bills, but you can't stay at home and teach. Her. It's like, there's this, it's, it's so much more than the one thing it, it ends up disrupting. And that's what makes it truly rogue.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's wild. I mean, the education piece is, uh, is one that's, that's fascinating and like the rogue wave of COVID kind of moving us to the virtual, you know, I think kind of accelerated this metaverse concept, which is probably, you know, one of the, one of the many kind of futurist waves that we know is coming, but we don't know what it looks like, et cetera. And as you said, these kids, like, you know, I used to play hours of Zelda Right, like right. hours and hours of Zelda Ocarina of Time on N sixty four. When I would get home, it was like I would wait until uh, my homework was done, and I'd go sit and I'd play. I'd right. be Link, and I'd go through these beautiful virtual worlds. And like these kids have that, except it's even better. And like they can learn so much in Roblox, for example. Man. they don't need to sit in in a classroom setting anymore. They can just go be with their their friends in. You know, in the metaverse and learn how to code. And, you know, my, my nephew is incredible at math and it has nothing to do with what he's learned at school. He's got this program on Netflix that he just watches for hours and it's so engaging and so fun. And he's like, he's like asking me, uncle Mark, like, do you know what nine times seven is? You know, I'm just like, right. He's like, like five years old. Like, okay, cool. You know, he knows that because he's having fun with it. Um, I want to, I, I want to circle back again. Cause we, you know, we're talking about control, fear, um, rogue waves. You, there's something that you mentioned a few times, which is like this concept of happiness. And I'm curious, um, what happiness means to you because it is, it is such a, an amorphous, you know, term. And then like, how would you, it, it, what does happiness mean to you? And do you think it's something that's measurable? Cause even like GNH might be, you know, uh, who knows if that's the right metric in right. terms of like really defining happiness
0: yeah totally and and I, I you know and i think when you get into these these deeper discussions these are these are not new philosophical debates or questions right like you're, you the question you're asking me the greatest philosophers in human history have been debating for hundreds of years right and depending you know yeah. you, you talk to kant you know, who believed that things had a finite worth and people had infinite worth, right? Well, we're blending things in people now. So like what happens with his but then you had Nietzsche, who was like a totally, mm. you know, he had he had some dark things that people probably don't agree with, but he also had he was very good at challenging pre existing conditions that we just took for granted without ever questioning, right? Um so the the happiness one I think it's I think it's great. And I've been obviously thinking about it more and more and you know I grew up playing hockey and in hockey, you know, you, you block shots, you takes hits and you shut up and suck it up. You know what I mean? So I didn't, I, you know, and so it, it, took a lot for me to move myself into non-quantitative things like, like mindfulness, right. Or, or even, you know, like we, we chatted about it quick, the importance of writing, you know, things you're grateful for down, like the different, you know, yeah shifts that does in your mind. Cause I think happiness is this constant battle. The, the more I looked into it, the more I, you know, measuring is one thing, right? The obvious kind of suicide rates that as we get more, it doesn't come right. Income inequality, like you discussed, but you know, you got people who can be equally as happy and they don't have as much. Right. And I think we over the years have been, when I say years, I mean, centuries, as we become adults, we, in, in it's really weird, but it's like unacceptable to have feelings, right? If you're a kid and something bothers you, you cry, right? And despite what parents might think, kids don't spend their entire day crying. So when a kid cries, a parent takes care of it and it's content, right? As an adult, we're not, we're not, we're not supposed to show our emotions either way. Right. Like imagine every time I was upset, I just started crying. I mean, I know adults that would literally cry the entire day, um, you know, but we're we're, we're told not to. Sh- and if we get too excited, we question how excited we should be. Right. We don't want to let ourselves go, you know, too much because it's not very imagine, you know, y- y- you were sitting here saying, yeah, let's let's talk about your book. And I just started screaming and jumping and running around the room and getting so crazy fired up because I love talking about my book, you know, our I, you know, our society would be like, what's wrong with this guy? Um, a kid can do that, right? But then, as we grow up, somewhere in there, it's 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 not okay to like let ourselves do as much as that stuff. And and I think happiness is is like success in a way. It's it's a very personal question. I don't think there is a general definition. And I think my answer now, and a year from now, and two years from now, would probably be completely different to you in a way. But like success, mm-hmm. you know, to some people, they think success is money. You know, to me. Success in our world, unfortunately, does have an element of money. You need, you know, you need money to not worry about certain things. But to me, there's a lot more things that I would give up money for and not have. Right? Like for me, if I didn't have my wife, I don't know what I would do. Right? So, so success for me is a lot of things. Right? Like you know, having family and 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 you know, relationships that are very important and happiness. I feel like is something that if I make a conscious effort to understand and think through changes if if i don't think about it and i just jump into the 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 rat race i'm constantly chasing this moving target right this goal post you mentioned that's always always running out whereas and i i go on and off and i'm i'm getting better at it now but like if i take the time on something that traditionally wouldn't be i wouldn't have thought was important but it's very important and that's my own kind of mental health and well-being and these things right if I pull myself in, even if it's every morning, right? Just for that half an hour, where I'll put together some some mindfulness work, you know, it's some writing, some. My day is very different, right? I I I suddenly notice and appreciate different things, and I you know probably don't notice it because to your point, it's very hard to measure. But I I feel like I'm happier. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. things don't stress me as much. So, you know. I don't know how to define all that. And I don't think there's a right or wrong way of defining it either. I think how you define happiness could be even different than how I define happiness, but you know, we do know it's temporary, you know, but we do need Mm -hmm. that, that why I feel like, like you just mentioned because you know, this happiness our why on happiness is going to determine and shape a lot of this rapid progress we're doing. Right. Our, our, our brain architecture and biological kind of brain structures currently attempt to achieve happiness, you know, it'll never be enough. We'll always be kind of chasing more. So if we're not careful, we, we, you know, we're going to, we're going to chase the wrong things thinking we're chasing happiness and we're going to, you know, chase it right into a suicidal way, for example, because we, all we're thinking is we want bigger and more versus like there are times when you should be content. You should be happy kind of floating out there waiting for the next set to come in, right? And and mm-hmm. unless you're consciously looking for those things, and I feel like to your point, we've lost control of our system. And because we have this, we're junkies for more. We, we don't do that as much. now. It's harder now to do than it was in the past. There's just less time for you to really turn off and be on your own. I mean, a great example this weekend, my wife and I are going for two days, just kind of off the grid and camping. And my wife hates camping, but she's finally agreed to do this because when we're there, (laughs) you can actually disconnect, right? Otherwise people are like, ah, just do less screen time in your house. You know what I mean? Don't check your phone. Like it's just not that easy compared to when you truly disconnect from everything when you can't do it. Um, So that's a long winded, somewhat, way of talking around your question, I guess, but you know, I guess, no,
1: I mean, I I wasn't expecting you to like, have the answer to like, what is happiness, which is (laughs) kind of why I framed it as, you know, what does happiness mean to you? Because, um, you know, I agree with you. It is different for each individual. I think one element of it that I, that I'd like to kind of like pull on a little bit or one thread is this idea of like happiness is practice, you know, happiness is work. Which yeah. is fascinating, right? Because I think most people would not identify with that. Um, like when you're describing happiness, you're describing it as like it's the 30 minutes in the morning that you know where I put in the the self work to have my mindfulness practice and do a little bit of writing, and then my my default mode state becomes one that is happier. I'm I'm enjoying things more, right? And <laughs> It's, I don't know, it's it's fascinating.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It's a good call out and it took a while for me to get there, right? I was kind of happy sometimes. I wasn't happy and just unfortunately, I can't quite kick the, the quantitative upbringing. But once I really started to get into and, and, and trying to do more, which kind of led me there and we can get, you know, flow and there's a bunch of cool research coming out there, right? but like you can do things that release certain that changes your neurochemistry, it releases, you know, suddenly you're getting, you know, dopamine and serotonin and these things, they, they make us feel better. They make us happier. And we can also do things that, that are, you know, like stress hormones, like cortisol and the more cortisol you produce, right? The more actually stress you build and the more stress you build, the less interpersonal you are, right? And the less you sleep and the less you're rested and the less you can get. So it's like this negative spiral it sends you down into. And for me, it was really understanding that that I could allow myself to go back and say, okay, this stuff makes sense. I need to, to your point, work on things like happiness. Whereas before, if you told me, you know, my wife's like, oh, this works for me. I'm like, yeah, it's it's hocus pocus. You know what I mean? Like you can't just think something and it's going to happen. But there's a lot of science that says it's not the fact that you're just thinking it. It's all the other things it creates in your life. And suddenly when you think things or you write them down every morning, you are unconsciously looking for all those little things right like you eat live and breathe crypto you notice and pick up on little crypto things that no one else would even think about or an opportunity that crypto could apply to right whereas i wouldn't think Mm -hmm. that because i haven't forced myself to write that down every morning or think through that And, and so it's not work as in like i think it's bad work but i think more than anything, you know, it's it's work we have to consciously at least think through and, and start talking about. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, Mark, I know this is uh, your podcast, so I don't want to flip it too much. But like personally, at least for me, and I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners would like, like I'd love, I'd love to flip that question back to you. Like, you know, how you would define mm-hmm. happiness? Like, I feel like you've gone through so much stuff, you know, in in previous life, and you've 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 taken the time, you know, to you know, and opened yourself. You've also been very open about this, right? Like I did this great thing and I posted nice pictures of it, but in the reality, like I was working 18 hours a day, you know, trying to, you know, grind through some <laughs> things here, right. That are, you know, a bit of a yeah. mess. So I'd love your thoughts on, on it. Cause I think the more we kind of hear and talk about it, it you know, I, I want to take some of the goods and bads of, of kind of lots of people like yourself, great minds.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for, for asking. And, uh, <laughs> Great mind. I don't know, but I appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate that nod. I, um, you yeah, know, happiness is an elusive concept. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but the reason I pulled on the thread of the work is because, um, is because I do notice, um, in my life when I'm not putting in that time for myself, um, to do those kind of practices, then I almost like, build up a reserve of happiness when I do those practices and the stress and work, um, which I enjoy the work that I do, but just like the constant kind of grind of day-to-day life and, you know, the mini disappointments that we can have kind of can start to drain that well, those reserves that you build. And so going back to yourself, going back to, um, gratitude as an example, or, being in nature, doing things that we we love, I think refills the happiness tank, so to speak. And then we're operating with almost like gas, like like a full tank of of joy, a full tank of happiness, and it's a reserve that we can actually run on. And I think some of the um, you know yoga gurus and other gurus and religious teachers in the world um, would note that that gas tank is actually an infinite. Source that we have the potential to tap into at any moment in time. Um, if we choose right. and you know, with some potentially some guidance as to like whatever practice works for you in tapping into that. Well, you know, to not think of joy and happiness as a finite resource, but to think that that tank can always be refilled. But the irony of it, I think, is that there is work that's to be done, right? Like. Um, there's a practice of mindfulness called effortless ease. And it's literally just sitting and allowing. Um, there's a, a yoga path that I've, you know, started and stopped and started and stopped and it's Shaktipat yoga. Um, and it is this practice of effortless ease. And, you know, it, you, you're meant to sit for an hour and do nothing, like do nothing and not focus on your breath, not recite a mantra, not, um, do anything. And for someone like me, who's constantly doing, you know, always doing, 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 I am the doer, this sense of ego of me being the one that's activated, um, is meant to fade away when there's nothing for that ego to do except to just be, but I think that practice in and of itself is much is actually extremely challenging if we're not all, if we haven't done other work. Right? right. And so it's, so it's really, it's really circular. Like a lot of the the most, the most challenging questions of humanity, in my opinion, are such so challenging because they're circular. Like, um, why does one suffer is another question that I think is tied in with happiness. And, you know, someone could argue that suffering is a choice because life and circumstance is going to throw rogue waves at us all the time. And, you know, we're going to get wrecked in the wave, but do we come back and, and with a smile on our face and, and enjoying it and saying, this is just as it is, right? Like, so it is, it is so, or are we like, why me playing victim, et cetera. And yet I think we have to go through that victim state and truly suffer in order to then not suffer, right? right? to, To gain the strength to know that it's going to be okay, to go through moments of time where we are weak and we do get hit with these waves and we get wrecked. And we end up crawling to the beach, breathing in a deep sigh of relief that we have solid ground to stand on and build ourselves back up on and then to go out and get wrecked and to be like, okay, I've been here before. I'm just going to hold my breath and rise back up to the top of the, to the top of the sea, get back on my board and ride the next one. Yeah. But I think it's like, these things are circular.
0: Yeah. And I think you nailed it. And I think the other thing is how you engage with certain things, right? Like getting wrecked. Like it's one thing if, you know, you do that and all you think about is the negatives and I almost drowned and I died and I never want to, or you think, you know, you almost, you almost want that high that you almost want to go get wrecked again, because what if you don't like, you just do so incredible things. And that's a bit of the surfing analogy. That's the way we kind of really grow and and transcend and become better people companies whatever um it is that right we have to chase that uncomfortable that that's how we get to the next level right and and how we handle that i think is great because i think you also you know you're you're very self-aware on it because it's very much the, the ego thing that not everyone talks about but for me that's what really led me to understanding the work on things like happiness right my my ego was how do i do more always like how do I increase my peak performance and you know and, and and the reservoir and the gas tank's a very big one and once you start to understand it's not about maxing out your gas tank all the time if you don't start refilling it before you're on empty you can actually run all the time right but if you go all the way to empty it takes a lot longer to refill up your gas tank and and that is you know a very simple way to put it but it's true right You you have people who kind of have Breakdowns, right? Complete breakdowns. Like they need to take lots of time to get themselves back together. And, you know, we've all experienced it on very micro levels. Like we talk about the extreme ones, but we've all experienced different micro levels of, you know, burnout versus if we're if we're putting in the work before we get to that, you know, we're running too hot all the time kind of thing. Then to your point, you're balancing all of it because you still are doing so much but at the end of the night you're okay to sleep you can get some rest right because you have and understand you're doing the work to remind yourself of the bigger picture we get so stuck in our our daily grind right like we're in the weeds and we all oftentimes forget what that bigger goal is right if i'm if i'm going through what i'm doing and all i'm thinking about is how i need to do here and all i deal with realistically is all the things that go wrong um, every day and i don't pull myself out of that, right? I don't pull up myself up to 30,000 view and say, but this is, this is actually trending in the right way. This is where you want to go. Like you're on it. That mindset to your point is so much more different. Like I'm going to go get my ass kicked on a bunch of four foot waves because my goal one day is to surf six foot waves. Well, then I don't mind the ass kickings because I know that's part of how it works, right? Like that's life too. I feel like when you put in the conscious effort when you're thinking about it we we do that to to ourselves to get better and and for me and everyone it's different like for me it was understanding that there's actually like scientific stuff we're starting to understand on how the brain works better on why this is important um so you know i think that's a kind of great call out for sure
1: yeah and i I wanted to um You know, we have a few minutes left here, so I want to move actually on the subject of happiness to kind of like peak experience, because I think you have had literal peak experiences, um, (laughs) you know, through um, Project 7, which seems like something that um, I'd love to understand kind of the origins of Project 7. um, And really, like when you've had that moment of having literally climbed a mountain um, one of the tallest, you know, I don't know how many of them you ended up completing, but the mission was seven, yep. you know, the seven continents, the tallest mountain on each continent. Um, and to raise awareness and and um, money via donations for um, brain related illnesses. So,
0: yeah, it's, it's funny. Again, this is maybe comes full circle because it, it did start out ego reasons probably but I grew up my my whole life very much being an athlete right played hockey you know went went to university played football I I trained and it was just it was something I always did I never liked it but I did it because it made me better and then you know we we finish school we go out on our own and this isn't healthy, but like I was very binary, right? Like my wife's great at doing everything in moderation. I'm not, I'm either not going to do it or I have a reason to do it. And I'm like all in and I never miss a thing. Um, so I, you know, you can't really, I, I was just getting too old to play. There's great competitive pickup hockey, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm in my thirties playing a 21 year old, you know, sure. Even if I win the fight and, you know, I get a black eye or broken nose, I have to go to work the next day. Like I just couldn't keep competing at these levels that I wanted to. Um, so I didn't, you know, didn't invest in mindfulness or meditation. I didn't do yoga. I didn't do any of this stuff. So for me, what I really found was like when I was in nature, when I was really out there, like when I was on my own, that's when I like that was my yoga. That was my release. That was my my meditation, my reset, my recharge. And I love new cultures, and I lo- I love traveling, and I love all that stuff. So selfishly, I I said, you know, this will give me a reason to get back in shape because when I'm in shape, I eat well, I eat healthy. You know what I mean? I sleep well. I do all that stuff. When I'm when I don't have a goal, I don't eat well. I drink a lot. You know what I mean? Like everything goes. I'm yeah. like very binary. So it was selfishly for, for, for my own self. And then we go through things and um, I, I lost my father to a, a, a you know, a hemorrhagic stroke, um, unfortunately. And, mm. you know, he was my hero and I started just researching it myself and we just, we still have so much to learn about the brain. And I was listening to all the best, you know, all around everything, neural brain doctors in the world. And they, <sighs> they just, there's so much we don't know. And so, I really wanted to do something. So I, you know, obviously going a little extreme, but yeah, I, I love, I, I wanted to the goal and I'm still in the middle of it. You know, I've got another one hopefully coming up, you know, COVID side railed things a little bit, but, um, you know, so I've done, I've done a couple of them. I've done three or four of them and I've got, uh, I've got three left,
1: so the and that's you've climbed three of the tallest mountains on three different one of the the tallest mountain on three different continents so far. Yeah, yeah, and then pretty awesome. Yeah, and you know
0: what's really neat is they're so different, right? So Elbrus, which is is technically the highest in Russia, is um, in Europe, is in Russia. So you know, but you you go through these little villages like it's, (laughs) you know, despite what you see on Nat Geo or you know what I mean, a North Face advertisement like climbing isn't this like sexy, luxurious thing. Like you're going through these tiny villages and, you know, you're hoping you're not, you know, going to get shot at one of these checkpoints sometimes, you know, it's, 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 it's really cool, but you see the, <sighs> you see the real culture, like the real people in these small villages and you get to know them and like the experience you'll have going through, you flying into Moscow and then going all the way down through Southern Russia is so different than what you'll get in Tanzania when you go do Kilimanjaro, which is more of a hike, right. Um, You know, mm-hmm. just such different, people and experiences and all that and raising all the money to go to blaine related illnesses was something that was done with purpose i don't want to put the the funding to any one specific like you know stroke or alzheimer's or anything not there's anything wrong with that but i i chose um to to brain canada is one and then there's uh um, a u.s brain research one that that i that all the donations go to 100 percent of the donations go there and the reason is they fund any kind of brain related illness at all in any way so any startups no. and what i like about that is it themes the rogue waves right because a breakthrough in deep convoluted neural networks in artificial intelligence will could spark our understanding of a certain protein in Alzheimer's, and all of a sudden, it's not Alzheimer's research that advanced that Alzheimer's breakthrough, right? It's something completely different. So, yeah. kind of any kind of neurocognitive kind of research is where I want it to be because I feel like we get very siloed in our our goals and minds, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to kind of give to that broader, like let's have a little breakthrough somewhere else that's going to help augment something else. So that that whole initiative kind of gives me, uh, you know, I, I I was going through all this, and I just wish. I, I went back and did more for the world, you know, I wish I, I wish I went back and tried to be a doctor. i probably wasn't smart enough, but like, you know, like a, a medical doctor or a <laughs> brain <laughs> researcher or someone who could like, you know, fix lives, help lives. And it's so, not too late, man. I know. Yeah, I know. But, um, so this, this was my like take on that. You know what I mean? This is how I kind of try to yeah. help give back and draw and drive that. So it's, uh, it's fun, you know, selfishly, it helps me a lot as well. And, and you know, anytime I think you can, you can, take any of your passions and purpose, right? It helps, you know, and, and you can package that up to help others. It's great. And back to your point on like, you know, when you have purpose, I feel like your purpose helps drive your passion and that helps with things like happiness. So at the end of the day, you've had a shit week, everything's gone wrong. It's gone down the garbage, but you know what, you know why you're doing your workout? Cause you're, there's a bigger thing you're chasing. You have a bigger purpose, right? Like yeah. in that for me really helps. And again, it's 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 a conscious effort that I started unconsciously, but it, it really helps for me. It's it's the reason tonight, after a horrible day, I might go still get my run in, right? Because I've got a climb coming next summer, right? That is, you know, I've got to carry 150 pounds fully unsupported to the, you know, coldest part of the planet. Like that mode that's a bigger purpose for me than my, than my, these, this you know, it doesn't have to be a daily problem. What about a week? What about that month when just everything went wrong? You know what I mean? You have this, mm. this bigger purpose, which the purpose is what drives your passion. I feel like,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I think you might've nailed another element of happiness, which is purpose, <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. and, and meaning. And I was, um, you know, actually my, uh, I'm, I'm sorry about your father. Um, I never met my grandfather, no, my okay. mother's, uh, mother's father passed of the same, uh, uh, hemorrhage in the brain when she was 16, I think. So, wow. you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's definitely, there's so much more advances, but it's also, we know so little about right. the human brain still. I mean, my previous guest, Jack Feldman was, um, the man who discovered the, the bundle of neurons in our brainstem responsible for, uh, our inhalations. Uh, and he does a lot of great work on, you know, on the, the brain breath relationship. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's an incredible project and I'm, I'm happy that you're still going for it and you're going to hit all seven, I expect. So yeah. um, keep me posted. I'm gonna, you know, Any listeners want to find it, I'll, I'll add a link to Project 7 here so you can throw some donations um, to help Eric climb uh, all of these seven peaks. I really appreciate yeah. you coming on the show, man. This was a really fun conversation. Uh, a lot of wines, twists and turns, and <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, I'm sure the listeners will. Is there anything else that you want to share before we um, before we jump off?
0: No, again, I, I did really enjoy it. Like we were chatting earlier, you know, I, I've done a bunch of these podcasts and I, I love sitting across the table with someone like yourself because I feel like you have as much or more to give. And it just kind of makes for a great conversation that you can't plan on. But you know what I mean? We also have some things that discovered, right? Like, you know, that kind of emerged from from going back and forth. So I, I'm just really appreciative for uh, for you having me on.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll share uh, we'll share how how the listeners can find you. Uh, the book is Surfing Rogue Waves. Um, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, I think is probably the best place. And, and Eric's got his own personal uh, website as well, um, which is EricPB.me. Um, and I'll put a link into that uh, for all you listeners. So, thanks, man. Thank you so much for hopping on, and uh, we'll catch up again soon.
0: Thanks so much for having me, man.
1: All right. Hello, Look Up listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Look Up every Wednesday morning, Eastern Time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, or you can subscribe to the Look Up weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at the Podcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in, and I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have.